All right, everyone, what's good? Welcome back to the Brawn and Brains podcast. Uh, obviously, last time we went through the fundamentals of training. Now we are coming at you with our second education series episode, The Fundamentals of Nutrition. Uh, again, obviously, me, Kev Gomez, my friend Ben Stanners here. Um, we've received some really good feedback, so we hope that you enjoyed yep. this episode and that we can both provide you again with some kind of fish as well as kind of teaching you how to fish uh, that that seems to kind of be the the main kind of feedback that we're you know teaching people to apply things which are good to hear um mm -hmm. but i guess without further ado there's a there's a decent amount to cover ben and i've already had kind of one crack of this in and now trying to kind of strip it back um so without further ado we will get straight into the fundamentals of nutrition i guess a good starting place for that is in the very very basics um both in terms of kind of nutrition itself and in terms of just immediately things that we can kind of apply when looking at kind of achieving goals and progressing uh energy balance so i don't know if mm -hmm. ben you want to go in on that yeah that's a key place to start because that really is a fundamental of nutrition uh so yes first of all me and kev had a crack at this already but unfortunately we just like to talk so it was too long so we thought right let's, let's pick out the key parts and strip it back so yeah anyway energy balance that is a fundamental law that is a physical law so first thing that needs to be said is that you know you, you will see a lot of people try to dispute it and say it's not really relevant to everyone or doesn't apply to everyone but it's a fundamental law it's a physical law it's a law of physics so it applies to everyone no matter who you are no matter if you deny it or not it applies to everyone now obviously a lot of the people who say that it doesn't apply to everyone just tend to misinterpret what energy balance or psycho carries in carries out actually is and what influences it um so hopefully today one of our main goals is to really clear up what energy balance or psycho is um and so that's obviously you know a, a key takeaway from all of this to understand uh, to begin with because energy balance very much dictates what you can achieve or what you're trying to achieve in the sense that you know if you your goal is fat loss then you, obviously you want to be in a calorie deficit if your goal is to build muscle then ideally you want to be in a high energy environment aka a calorie surplus now obviously there is a little bit of controversy to say maybe you can build muscle still in a calorie maintenance or maybe even in a calorie deficit it's definitely possible, but it's certainly not optimal. Um, so if you, again, if you want to really just ensure you're going to be able to build muscles, then yes, you want to be through a calorie surplus. The third energy environment is a calorie maintenance. Now, it's a calorie maintenance is a little bit different in the sense that it's less of a fixed number and more of a range. So what I mean by that is if your calorie maintenance was say like 2000 calories per day, it's more likely to be between 1,800 to 2,200 calories per day. So again, you know, it's just, that's just, you know, I'm making up numbers there, but it's just to show you that is more of a range. Uh, and like I said, you know, depending on which en energy state you want to be in is very much dependent on your goal. Yeah, I think that's a, a great starting point for it. Uh, obviously, you know, good touching on, on the idea that it's a law because, you know, a lot of people do kind of misinterpret that. Um, yep. I guess I guess immediately uh, one one av avenue which we can explore is kind of the the misinterpretation of calories in calories out versus actually kind of tracking calories before we kind of even yes. get a little more before we even get a little more granular on the idea of what kind of constitutes calories in calories out. I guess immediately kind of clearing okay. up 
one myth in terms of application the way that people actually yeah. try to to you know do this in their in their everyday life or in a in a dieting phase mm -hmm. one thing which gets under my skin i know it does, it does under yours as well then <laughs> obviously some people then you know taking taking this idea to the extreme and you know perhaps looking at it basically and realizing that you know calories in calories out is physics it is thermodynamics um but then almost taking that to the extreme and suggesting that you know well without tracking calories there's therefore no way that you can lose weight when that's really a misinterpretation uh, because mm -hmm. you know we don't have to track every single calorie that goes into us to ensure that we are creating the energy environment that we require for for our goals you know when we simply consider things like portion sizes and you know potentially even looking at you know different food sources and macronutrients and more kind of intuitive ways to to diet um, it becomes apparent that tracking calories isn't the only way to go even though we are still looking at calories in calories out you know when we consider yeah. potentially <laughs> clients implications of people who you may not have such a good relationship with food um and you know if if tracking can potentially lead to more obsessive behaviors which could be become mm -hmm. harmful down the line again this isn't yeah. us trying to dispute calories in calories out this is us saying people will actually misinterpret it because you know it's one thing to to you know understand that those energy environments are required but it's another thing to say that we need to actually be you know counting the the, the calories and this is where kind of the other kind of diet camps will then get thrown in the mix because other people will be like, yeah. oh, well, calories in, calories out doesn't matter because I was I was on keto and I, I lost X amount of weight and I wasn't counting, uh, I wasn't counting calories. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yes. but you will have still been achieving a, a, a calorie deficit through that keto diet. So yeah. it's still calories in versus calories out. Yes, um, and that's critical to understand. Count calories is a tool. Calories in, calories out is a physical law they're yeah. not the same thing whatsoever again like you used to just say you know people will say well i didn't count calories unless i lost weight yes you might not count with calories because you don't have to but you were still in a calorie deficit that didn't negate the fact you were still in a calorie deficit one is a tool one is a physical law like you said it's the law of thermodynamics so you can't just dispute it by saying i didn't count calories because it's not the same thing and that's a massive misinterpretation that i always see Far too often, yes, it does typically come from the low carb zealots, who just um, again seem to confuse counting calories with the law of thermodynamics or calories in, calories out. Not the same thing. Again, that needs to be really, really clear. And to be fair, that is good to know because I think long term, I don't think anyone should have to track calories anyway. Because realistically, I mean, does, does do you really want to be tracking calories for the rest of your life? I know certainly that I don't. In fact, I'm at the point where I don't need to, unless I was in a contour, uh, competition prep where I need to be a bit more um, optimal, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but on the whole, does anyone really want to track calories for the rest of life? No. So just use it as a tool, as a tool to help you to learn and get a bit more understanding of the food that you're eating the you know the calorie content the macro content the micronutrient content uh, foods that you actually enjoy foods maybe that you don't enjoy use that as a tool um to learn and it might take a couple of years but use it as a tool to learn first and then whilst you're doing that learn things like mindfulness and starting to listen to hunger cues um, and recognize the difference between hunger cues and boredom um so that eventually you don't have to track calories and you can just you know use these other skills to still, if you needed to, create a calorie deficit or calorie maintenance or calorie surplus. Um, and that should be the ultimate goal anyway. So, yeah, one is a tool, but it doesn't negate the fact that you still 
how this law of carries in, carries out. Um, so yeah, that is a definitely a myth we need to dispel straight away. Um, there are other myths which we could dispel, but I think we'll leave that uh, till after um, or for a bit, because now I think what we should talk about is what effects carries in and what effects carries out. So carries in uh, has, you know, is affected by less. So carries in essentially is just the food that you eat. Now, it is also affected by things like hormones because you have you know, hunger hormones. So you have a, a hormone called ghrelin, which again is, is literally just a hunger hormone. It sort of regulates that hunger feeling. And you have a hormone called leptin, which is like an energy regulating hormone. So again, if your body senses your low in energy, uh, leptin will go up and you will essentially get hungry and it'll make you eat sort of thing. Um, it also is affected by things like the gut microbiome. Now, I don't want to get too deep into that because that's when things can start to get a little bit complicated. But essentially, you do have certain species in the gut. <laughs> you do have certain species in the gut microbiome, some which will produce energy themselves, some which are better extract, extracting energy from your food. So obviously, that can affect um, calories in as well. Now, calories out has a lot more which affects it. So it has your BMR, your exercise, your NEAT, your NEPA, and the TEF. Uh, it also, again, is affected by things like hormones. So again, that's uh, another, mel uh, another, mel another myth we need to dispel uh, is the fact that, yes, you know, a lot of people will say, well, carries, in doesn carries out doesn't account for hormones. Yes, it does. Yes, it absolutely does account for yeah. hormones. It accounts for hormones on both sides of the equation. It accounts for hormones in terms of how they can affect, um, how basically how carries in can affect carries out and vice versa. It, it very much accounts for hormones. Um, so anyway, your BMR is your basal metabolic rate, which is essentially is how many calories you need to survive if you're in a coma for your body still to perform its absolute necessary functions. Your exercise, well, everyone knows what exercise is. Obviously, that does have a calorie load, which you are burning through. Uh, your NEAT and your NEPA are two slightly different things. So your NEAT is non-exercise activity thermogenesis, and NEPA is non-exercise physical activity. Now, you could put them both under NEAT, but the reason why I think or I like to keep them separate is because one you have more control over and one you have less control over. So NEAT is, again, is things like this. When I move my hands and talking like this, this is NEAT. Even talking itself is neat. Blinking is neat. Uh, the way you sit is neat. Um, and that's important to understand because when you're dieting, your body, uh, to try and conserve energy because it likes homeostasis, will start to down-regulate those things. So you'll actually talk slower. You'll blink slower. Um, you'll be less likely to sit upright because, again, that expends more energy. It doesn't seem like that would save much energy, but add that up over time, and it really does. Whereas your uh, non-exercise physical activity is things like your steps, which you do have control over. So if you step a, set a step target, obviously, you, you know, you can still hit that regardless of if you feel low energy or not. Uh, and then lastly, you have the TEF. Um, that's the thermic effect of food. So essentially what that is, is it's the amount of calories it takes to digest, absorb and utilize and metabolize the food that you're eating. Uh, again, when we get onto the macronutrients in a bit, we'll sort of talk about the different thermo effects of food from each macronutrient as well. Um, so that's just the ways in which separately um, carries in is affected and separately carries out is affected. They do also affect each other. I don't know if you want to sort of talk about that. Um, so you can talk for a bit. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I think I think a good one that you kind of already 
got started on. So I think is a, a good one to just kind of immediately now delve into. And again, again, I guess kind of looking more so at kind of what people maybe get wrong when dieting is that idea of kind of adaptive thermogenesis and the idea of uh -huh. your body kind of down regulating, you know, its activity and stuff to try and create homeostasis. Cause of course your body adapts and it wants this kind of environment where everything is as, as normal as possible, really. So uh, as you said, you know, particularly when looking at the neat side of things, the, when, when you are kind of dieting and such, you will probably find that, you know, you, even those little things that you said, people may not even really consider like, you know, blinking slower, talking slower, the way they sit, you know, if you often watch like interviews of bodybuilders, like uh, just a couple of weeks out from a competition, and obviously they're on rock bottom calories and yeah. stuff, you'll often see them sat like really hunched over because that, that's how your body can conserve some energy. Uh, and that's, that's kind of important to consider because of course, this is the idea of, you know, if we are expending more energy and creating a calorie deficit, our body will compensate by, you know, trying to conserve energy. Yeah. When we consider kind of the implications of this dieting, this is where a lot of people kind of fall into the trap of the, you know, more is better and just push harder, harder, harder. When in reality, this is probably a good idea to consider. Well, you know, if, if calories in and calories out kind of do have this, you know, relationship with each other and can interact in, in, in this kind of way, then, is when we can kind of look at, you know, can upping food, you know, really make it more efficient to in the in the long term, especially to to diet because of the effects that it can yeah. then have on, you know, kind of making things a, a a lot easier in terms of, you know, actually being able to expend more energy. Because obviously we yeah. have, as you as you touched on, the idea of NEPA to kind of be able to combat a sort of down regulation in in neat so we can you know do more steps and and stuff like that to you know combat that but even that is going to feel like significantly more effort because that's our body's kind of attempt at, at you know trying to 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 get us to stop expending so much energy and it would rather yeah. try yeah. to make us feel more effort doing those things so we don't want to really do that yeah um yeah and that's that's critical to understand because everyday tasks will feel like more effort now not going to go too deep into that because we do have another video. Uh, this comes out on Friday. I think the following Wednesday, we have a video on creating an efficient diet and start point, but we actually start to go into that. So I'm not going to, we're not going to uh, say too much more on that, but yeah, everyday tasks will start to feel like more effort, which in itself is problematic. Now, again, you know, like you say, adaptive thermogenesis is one of the big ways in which, you know, it carries in, can affect carries out and vice versa. Uh, just to correct myself before I did say that, uh, you know, in a, in a, low energy environment, leptin would go up, leptin would actually go down. Um, so that's important to stand though for adaptive thermogenesis because if leptin's going down, it means your body's trying to conserve energy. So if you're in a low energy environment, okay, you know, you're not eating much per day, then your body again will conserve that energy to try and bring your calories out down and be in this energy balance homeostasis environment. And again, this comes with all sorts of problems. So this is where you can start to run into these hormonal problems again. You know, leptin's coming down, ghrelin's coming up. So that's, you know, your energy uh, regulating hormone is low, whereas your hunger hormone is high. So you're going to become very food focused. Uh, this is when, again, cravings are going to go up. If you really get it wrong, this is where you could start to develop this binge restrict cycle. But, you know, again, outside of that, that's also when things like performances can start to get impacted. Uh, if performance is impacted, then, you know, in terms of results are not going to be as good. So you can start to see straight away how this 
what pe people previously thought independent factor of carries in now directly affects carries out and how they have a direct relationship with each other and how, again, you can't look at them as two separate factors. One affects the other. Fortunately, the reverse can be uh, said to be true in the fact that if you, you know, eat more, you're also going to uh, move more because your body will upregulate um, its um, energy outlet, essentially. So that's useful to know as well, because again, you know, when we look at creating an efficient diet style point, if we can get carries as high as possible, again, it's going to come with a lot of benefits. Um, but, you know, again, we'll save that for the when on Wednesday when you watch that video. So stay tuned for that. Now, other ways in which carries out can affect carries in or vice versa is if we look at something like cardio. Now, first oh, of all, yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. do your cardio. Do your cardio for sure. Don't don't neglect cardio because cardio is important for a lot of things. But for some people, doing cardio will upregulate levels of ghrelin. Again, ghrelin is that hunger hormone. So if you're getting higher levels of this hunger hormone, you're more likely to overeat. So you might think I need to do cardio for fat loss, but actually that's causing you to overeat. Then you can see how that is a direct issue for fat loss. Now, I'm not necessarily saying don't do cardio. In fact, definitely do cardio, but you might have to just take a more strategic approach. Um, number one, I definitely wouldn't do it fasted. I mean, it doesn't make a difference in terms of fat loss if we do it fasted or not anyway, but I definitely wouldn't do it fasted. Um, and maybe just maybe look to do a little bit less cardio and maybe just increase your steps or something to as a way to increase your output again just to help manage the hunger better because obviously again that is critical for fat loss to stop you from overeating because if you're overeating then you're not going to be the calorie deficit so they're just pretty key considerations you have to take into account of you know what effects carries in what effects carries out and how they influence and directly affect each other um, again, that's just really, really important to understand. Um, but is there anything else you want to add to that? Uh, or do you want to move on to the macros? Just, just, just kind of a quick one to wrap that up, actually. I think that, that yeah, the, the cardio thing that was one I was, I was waiting for you to touch on, because I think that mm -hmm. kind of ties up this, this whole idea of hopefully what people can really take away from this first kind of subsection of energy balance, which is the idea that more isn't necessarily better. Understand that you know, although we do have these fundamental principles like calories in, calories out, which is going to really underpin everything, it's still worth noting that these concepts aren't really to be abused because they do have kind of relationships in the ways that they interact with each other. And that can actually just end up screwing you up in the long term in terms mm -hmm. of your goal, because it is, you know, you, you see you see it all the time where, you know, someone's dieting on like 1500 calories and you know, just pushing lower and lower and more cardio. And then they're on 1200 calories and 20,000 steps and half an hour of cardio a day. And it's, you know, where, where do you go from there? The answer is nowhere because yeah. when you do push much further, eventually you're going to get to the, to the point where all these kind of things are built up and you do end up getting into those kind of nasty cycles. Yeah. So essentially what that is, is a very high stress load onto the body. And again, too much stress is the destroyer of health. So this is when you can start to run into hormonal problems in both a low energy environment and a high stress environment. So this is where things like you can you, you can lose the menstrual cycle if you're a female. Uh, this is also where you could have like low libido. So that affects you know both men and women. And that was very much suggest that someone would have like low testosterone. Uh, again, obviously, if you have you know either low testosterone or you don't have normal levels of testosterone that's going to affect things like performance, uh, muscle building, but also yeah. quality of life as well. So 
you know, we'll not go too much into the possible issues that could be caused because there is a lot, but just overall, you could cause some serious hormonal issues that might take a long time to come back, you know. Um, Big time. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's common for, especially females, to lose their menstrual cycle uh, and for it not to come back for a very long, long time. And again, that is literally life-changing because, you know, menstrual cycle means you can't have kids. Um, so you almost have to understand the possible risks when when dieting if you get it wrong because there are many we've touched on a few um you know hormonal issues relationship food or mental health issues as well um just a lot of a lot of potential issues that actually do or could come with dieting so that's just something that's important to keep in mind and understand before you do diet and again for our video on wednesday that's why it's really important to create an efficient diet start point okay so let's uh, move on to the macros now so you have three main macronutrients. Technically, you have four. Well, not that you actually do have four. Yeah. And that is protein, <laughs> carbs, fats. And pause the video here and take a guess right in the comments what you think the fourth macronutrient is. Okay, hope you've guessed. So the fourth macronutrient is ethanol or alcohol. Now, it, ethanol and um, works pretty similar in terms of carbs, in terms of an energy source, but obviously it is also toxic, which if you've ever woke up with a hangover before, you know you all about. Know. <laughs> yeah. um, now, the way it slightly differs, though, is because obviously, you know, well, protein has four calories per gram, carbs has four calories per gram, fat has nine calories per gram, and ethanol has seven calories per gram. Uh, so there is a slightly different calorie value to carbs that, that also needs to be said. Um, so that's the very basics of macros. Um, do you want to add anything to the basics first before we start to get onto how they, you know, affect you? Yeah, well, I, th I think obviously, you know, it's the, it's the idea for, for starters, I guess this is where we can kind of get into the idea of diminishing returns for, for results and how we kind of apply things to, to us. Uh, I mean, for the, what I really mean by that is essentially, you know, if you weren't previously you know, considering energy balance and, and, you know, calories and how they apply to your goal in terms of kind of energy environment and calorie surplus versus deficit, et cetera, you're already going to reap a ton of reward just from implementing like that very basic concept into, you know, whatever phase you're in now. If you were then kind of breaking it up into kind of macronutrients and kind of meeting your macro targets per day, we're reaping you know, a little more progress from that. And then all other things we kind of talk on uh, about, reaping a little more progress from that even though really everything that we are discussing today is pretty basic even when we do kind of get into the idea of kind of distributing these nutrients and, and such which yeah. we'll move on to in a, in a little bit uh, so really you probably should be able to implement like everything we talk about from this video it's nothing that complicated um, yeah. but obviously this is now just kind of breaking things down a little more from overall calorie intake and, and energy balance uh, i think what, what what's also kind of important to establish now is we're going to pretty much gloss over what what these macronutrients do in terms of kind of their, their role in, in, in your body and through your diet. Yeah. Uh, but obviously that's information that's very easily accessible. And even though that's the, the first thing, you know, people try to, to post about on, on Instagram with cute little infographics as soon as they've done their level three PT qual, uh, we are here to really kind of consider how you can actually apply these to your diet. So we'll kind of glimpse over that and then we'll kind of discuss some pretty cool ideas in terms of how we can actually structure our diet in terms of you know considerations of macronutrients to actually really yeah. 
influence our results from kind of a, a multitude of avenues from everything like satiety and adherence to even yeah. just sort of the, the potential recomposition uh, uh-huh. abilities of how we structure our diets. So um, that, I don't know if, if we should just quickly kind of go over what these do in terms of their role and then get into the real fun stuff. Uh, well, we'll just, we'll take it one macronutrient at a time. So we'll just start with protein. So uh, first of all, protein, um, yeah. everyone knows protein is for muscle building, but that is certainly not what it's, definitely not what it's all all it's for at all. Like there are so many different types of proteins within the body. Um, it affects a lot of different tissues in the body. So, um, you know, obviously from your actual skeletal muscle to your skin itself, um, to things like the immune system um, and even things like digestion as well. But um, again, we want to stay with the fundamentals here. So just know that there is many different roles of protein is just key to keep in mind because when we get onto protein intake in a bit, that's just important to remember. So protein is wonderful. Regardless of what your goal is, protein is wonderful. So let's start with uh, fat loss. So Protein and fat loss. So there was a study, I believe, by Kevin Hall, which was a crossover study. So what that means is a group will do one variable and then it'll cross over and do the other variable. So they are their own control, which is a pretty good study, to be fair. So that study basically looked at calorie-equated diets and high-protein versus low-protein. And here's the key. They were in a calorie maintenance now, the group that was on the, well, when they switched over to the high protein diet, what actually happened because of this thermic effect of food, which protein's thermic effect of food is about, I think, anywhere between 20 to 35%. So what that means is if you consumed 100 calories of protein, you'd only extract about 70 calories worth of that um, out, of the, out of the 100. So the group that were, again, in this calorie maintenance that, were consuming high uh, protein actually ended up being in a small deficit, despite the fact that calories were at maintenance, uh, ended up being a small deficit because of the, again, the stomach effect of the protein intake. So what does that mean? Well, it means if you're going to go for fat loss, we know by consuming higher protein, uh, we can elicit a little bit more of a calorie deficit without necessarily having to drop the calories themselves. Again, this is just another way in which we can look at how calories in affects calories out. So that's pretty cool. Um, it is pretty cool. And again, it's just really practical and useful information to know straight away why you should probably go high protein if your diet, uh, if your goal is fat loss. Now, it also is good news for those who are looking to do a body recomposition because essentially what that means is to it means to lose fats, but at the very least, try and maintain or even gain muscle at the same time. We know the importance of protein um, and you know muscle building. So again, going higher protein is just going to make it an easier environment to gain muscle. But as I said at the start, if your goal is to gain muscle, then ideally you want to be in a high energy environment. So if you can have calories as high as possible, but still meet a small deficit by doing higher protein, again, you're going to have more energy availability to be able to build muscle. And again, things like performance, uh, but actually the actual tissue tissue repair and rebuild is going to be a lot easier for your body to do because you're eating more calories. So regardless of your goal, protein has some pretty cool effects and it's pretty beneficial to pretty much everyone. Um, 
Now, obviously, protein also has what you call a high satiety rate, which essentially means it's more satisfying and fills you up easier. So in terms of fat loss, again, it's easier to then not overeat because you're getting, again, you're getting uh, filled up and more satisfied from eating the protein. So again, that's another benefit of going high protein. Now, this is where we then have to dispel a couple of myths. Um, and the reason being is maybe it will help to convince you that there isn't really a downside of going high protein. So myth number one, and this is something that I've posted about plenty before, uh, especially my Instagram uh, story, okay. is that <laughs> you've heard the myth that you can only absorb 30 grams of protein in one meal. That is utter bullshit to answer you. Um, so yes, there is a slight limit or there is a limit to how much protein is needed for uh, muscle protein th synthesis or an anabolic response, but that is still more than 30 grams. It uh, seems to be around 40 to 50 grams. But as we said, and again, this is why I want you to keep in mind, protein is used for a lot more than just muscle building. So there is no known limit to how much protein you can actually absorb in one meal or in one go. So again, it will have this limit for this anabolic threshold, but it will then just use the rest of the protein for whatever it needs, whatever it needs it for, essentially. It's not just going to go, nope, not having that. It will just use it for whatever it needs. There's many different things it could need. It could, if it even wanted to, turn it into energy by um, essentially, because protein can turn into glucose through a, pro a process called gluconeogenesis. There we go. So if it needed to, it could, <laughs> so if it needed to, it could even, you know, turn that protein into a, an available energy source. But again, there's just many different functions of protein. Um, so there is no known limit how much you can absorb on one meal. So uh, again, don't think you have to only stick to 30 grams and that's it. The second thing we need to cover is, again, lots of people heard, well, uh, you know, high protein or specifically high animal products. Now, again, in terms of quality of protein, you do want to go for mainly animal products because it's a higher quality, more bioavailable protein source. But then people go, well, isn't that associated with a high risk of cancer? So, again, there was a good study. Uh, sorry, I can't remember who this was by, but we'll link it below basically looking at, uh, I think it was an epidemiological study, so it just looks at the population, um, and it basically looked at different groups, um, so, you know, some who had eaten low amounts of meats and low amounts of veg, some had eaten high amounts of uh, meat and low amounts of veg, some had eaten high amounts of veg and low amounts of meat, some who were eating high amounts of meat and high amounts of veg. Again, pause the video and tell me which group you think was at the lowest risk of cancer. Okay, so the group that was at the lowest risk of cancer was the group that ate the highest amount of meat and the highest amount of veg. So essentially, if you have a high meat intake, then you can offset that with a high veg intake. And that, again, is a really practical and key takeaway to remember. Because again, if we're telling you to go protein, uh, high protein, and we're telling you all of these benefits of going high protein regardless of your goal, you might obviously still be worried about your potential cancer risk. Well, again, the good news is as long as you keep your veg intake nice and high, which is basically five plus servings per day, then you're probably going to be okay. In fact, you're going to be the lowest risk of cancer. So to sum that up again, you don't need to limit how much protein you're eating in one meal because it can be used it or protein is used for multiple different things within the body. And if you are going to eat high protein, just make sure you eat high veg as well. Yeah, good Anything stuff. you want to add to protein? 
Uh, yeah, I think there's still some some cool things to touch on. Obviously, you know, a lot a lot already kind of touched on there. Even kind of looking at kind of the clinical side of things, which I, th I think uh, some people might not have really considered as much. That they might just be kind of considering, well, you know, what what just what can I do to, to build more muscle? But that's obviously a good one to consider just in terms of kind of considering health and longevity. And, you know, if you actually want to continue building muscle for very long, um, <laughs> but yeah, eat, eat, eat your vegetables in, in short. Uh, I think it was cool to touch on the ideas of both kind of the thermic effect and satiety in regards to it's kind of fat loss. It was good to touch on the idea of meat and the bioavailability of protein, obviously, you know, considering that, not all protein sources are equal in terms of their amino acid content. And especially when we then kind of start to consider kind of the impacts on, on muscle protein synthesis, which you, which you brought up, it is obviously important to actually be considering, you know, good sources of protein being consumed as opposed to kind of incomplete sources, which may not have the, the amino acids that we're looking for. Um, I think that actually in itself kind of talking, uh, actually, no, before I get onto the MPS side of things, uh, another quick one is the idea of high protein and kind of recomping effect. You kind of touched on this in terms of the importance of protein to build muscle. But I think there are even kind of studies out there showing that almost, you know, way higher protein than than people would really consider. I think I could, I could get this wrong, but we'll, we'll link it below. But it was like a, a silly high amount of protein. And the idea is... I think it might have been like 2.5 grams per pound of body weight or something. Yeah, I've seen I've seen even high like I've seen up to I'm sure it was like something as crazy high as four grams per, right. per pound. I was like, yeah, yeah something crazy well, high. So, uh, studies out there have shown that like these super high intakes of protein have really helped kind of recomposition, which kind which comes back to the idea of you know in in certain circumstances being able to build muscle in a calorie deficit, and even though you know potentially you know a lower energy environment, if we are kind of looking at a very high protein intake, can we potentially look to kind of build muscle and lose fat in the same time? If possible, uh, again, not, not trying to dispel kind of calories in, calories out and kind of the, you know, basic rules of, of energy environments. But, you know, if, if one was watching this and they were trying to consider, well, if, if I really did want to be super meticulous with everything I put in myself and, you know, to get those results that I wanted, then yeah, potentially when we're looking at a very, very high protein intake, you could actually actually pull that off if you know everything else was in order as well, which I guess is a good kind of way to segue on to. Therefore, uh, how much protein should we should we be eating, especially when we kind of consider the ideas of muscle protein synthesis and complete versus incomplete protein, and its kind of impacts on on you know gaining muscle, recomping, uh, losing fat. How much should we actually be be looking to you know consume? I think there's obviously yeah. the the general rule of thumb for, for bodybuilders. And I guess a, a quick disclaimer is obviously, you know, athletes and people involved in physical activity are going to need higher protein intakes than is mm -hmm. just recommended on average. I think the, the NHS recommendation for protein is kind of pitiful. It sits around it's 50, like 50 grams per day. Grams. Yeah. 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 So it's if you're, if you're having your 50 grams of protein, then uh, yeah, you're probably not going to build very much muscle eating that. Um, it's far too we, low. We, we, yeah, we're, we're probably on a, a good four times of that uh, at least. <laughs> um, but with that being said, you know, when we when we think about, oh well, uh, you know, if if more protein could potentially lead to you know more muscle protein synthesis, more potential for for muscle gain, but you know, more satiety in regards to fat loss, and you know, shouldn't we just eat as much protein as kind of possible? And the answer to that is no, because then the caveat of sort of digestion comes into play, and obviously, protein is something as 
you know, a lot more effort to, to kind of digest. And, you know, you, I, guess, I guess you hear it kind of all the time in, in gym culture when it comes to kind of the protein farts and stuff, just kind of as a, as a very basic one. But yeah, then if we kind of look at, you know, the idea of, uh, I can't remember who said this, but, you know, the idea of you, you're not being what you eat, but more the idea of you are what you eat, digest, absorb, and don't excrete. Um, shout out to the muscle man yeah. to pick that up. On I, that I believe that was a... Uh... I believe that was uh, Dr. Brian Walsh, actually. Right, okay. Um, so, yeah, shout, shout out to Dr. Brian as well. Um, <laughs> we, we'll, we'll kind of touch more on digestion, kind of the lifestyle side of things, because I think there's a lot to be said about kind of the implications of things like stress and sleep and stuff on, on digestion. So digestion is more of a topic. We'll kind of discuss more on, on the, the lifestyle education. Uh, but it's worth kind of already implanting that idea in your head of kind of the, the, the influence of, you know, nutrition on, on digestion and, you know, yes. actually looking to absorb what we eat to be able to really utilize it. And therefore, again, more isn't necessarily uh, better in these scenarios because, you know, if we're not actually absorbing the, the, the protein that, that we're wanting to from, from these, then uh, we're not really going to reap the benefits of having these silly high protein con consumptions um yeah and i guess a, a good one to kind of quickly throw on at the end before i let you kind of add anything on that you want is then this idea of muscle protein synthesis and kind of distributing protein throughout the day yeah then we can kind of look at well you know say say we want to take in 200 grams of protein um should, is it the same getting you know a 30 gram serving of protein in and 170 gram serving in or potentially kind of distributing those a little more evenly and i think the literature currently shows that you know a good four servings of protein are optimal to keep muscle protein synthesis elevated throughout the day so then we can almost look yeah. into kind of people's lifestyle and breakfast and, and how they saw that out so as, as a fundamental rule we do want to kind of keep our protein pretty much equally distributed throughout the day it doesn't have to be perfect uh, and hopefully a takeaway that you can already get from this is you might be thinking, well, for breakfast, I had a bowl of cornflakes, which obviously doesn't have much protein in it. And that's something that I don't know about you, Ben, but it's usually kind of the first thing that I sort of implement with my clients in terms of kind of protein intake and the idea of, well, you know, in, in terms of daily target, we're, we're not doing too bad. But, you know, if we could perhaps look at how we distribute this protein and consider taking in more in a breakfast, which is, you know, really easy, you know, there, there's no rule to say that you have to have your your whey protein after training, you could just have it in the morning or if you like cooking eggs or protein yogurt, there are really some easy things that we can do, but this is a, a really low hanging fruit that I hope people can take in terms yeah. of, you know, optimizing results and thinking about kind of distribution of protein and its effect on muscle protein synthesis. But again, the same caveat yeah. comes into play where, whereas we can look at, well, shit, should we, should we just have like seven, eight, nine serving feedings of protein a day to keep our muscle protein synthesis elevated? And again, the, the answer is, well, think of digestion. Do you fancy, you know, trying to, to pile down a, 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 some, some potentially pretty hefty protein feedings every couple of hours? Are you going to have a fun time digesting that? And potentially for kind of the intermittent fasting crowd, are you going to enjoy two massive 100 gram servings of, of protein or whatever you're trying to get in? And are you going to have a, a, a fun time digesting that? Yeah. Uh, and there's a key thing or a few key things to take away from that there. So 
Yes, um, especially in terms of just lifestyle. You know, your breakfast, as Kev said, that doesn't have to dramatically change. We're not saying go from eat from a, a bowl of cornflakes to go and eat into a massive piece of steak in the morning. <laughs> that, that's not realistic or sustainable, and it doesn't fit your lifestyle. But, you know, good options there. You know, you could, rather than milk, you could uh, mix it with some whey protein, pull that over your cornflakes. You could have a protein yogurt. Uh, if you like eggs, which most people do, you could have some eggs. So there's very easy options in which you could do that. As a generic guideline, then, yeah, as you said, you know, four meals, but roughly really anywhere between three to six meals or protein servings per day is going to be anywhere in that range is absolutely fine. And then, as you said, an even distribution is going to be really important. So, again, taking the typical person who at most is probably going to be eating like 100 grams of protein per day. Typically, their day would look something like, you know, again, that bowl of cornflakes. So pretty much no protein in the morning. Their lunch might be something like 20 grams of protein. And then their dinner might be 80 grams of protein. Not very well distributed or not particularly even. So ideally, again, for muscle protein synthesis, um, but also for things like satiety, you want to have pretty much an even intake within each meal. It doesn't have to be perfect. But again, taking that example of 100 grams and you were having, say, four meals per day, you want to have around 25 grams per meal. Again, this is going to stimulate that anabolic response, but also is going to, again, help to fill you up and keep you satisfied from that meal as well. So that is really important. Um, so, yeah, in terms of structure, that's pretty much how it sh- should look. So um, next we can talk about my favorite words or my favorite macro carbohydrates because carbs are wonderful and you should eat carbs. Um, so that's, I kind of wanted to spell the myth first. So carbs, when I say carbs, a lot of um, keto people are now currently hiding in their closet because they think insulin and they got scared so they had to go run, hide away. Insulin is not your enemy, especially when it comes to fat loss. It is especially not your enemy when it comes to muscle building, but it is not your enemy when it comes to fat loss. So the myth, insulin does put you into a fat storage mode. Now, if I was just to leave it there or you to turn this off now, you would have the complete wrong idea because you'd be looking at the one side. So you can look at insulin or fat loss as a two-sided coin. It's fat loss is essentially, or fat gain, is essentially how much fat you're storing versus how much fat you're burning. So if you spike insulin through eating carbohydrates or protein, because protein is pretty intelligenic as well, then yes, you will acutely which means temporarily go to a fat storing mode. But if you want to carry deficit overall, you're going to burn more fat or body fat than you are going to store. So the net balance is this loss of body fat. So if you're, you know, again, referring to like keto, if you're eating high fat, yes, because they, try, they, you know, they try to sell this, you know, keto is good for fat loss because you burn all the fat. So yes, if you eat, if you are keto, you are burning a lot of fat. But you're also storing a lot of fat. If you're so that's high fat, low carb. If you're high carb, low fat, yes, you're not uh, burning very much fat, but you're also not storing very much fat either. So again, the either way is the same. It's just um, it just comes down to that balance. It comes down to the difference between how much you're storing versus how much you're burning. And again, that's critical to remember, and that's essentially why insulin or carbohydrates are not the enemy of fat loss. Again, that's just looking at one uh, pathway in one isolated moment by saying insulin is the enemy. It's not. Plus, you know, insulin, obviously, you know, sensitivity does matter, but you'll get more insulin sensitive 
as you in a calorie deficit anyway. So again, you know, it's just silly to say that insulin um, is going to stop you from losing fat because it's not. Um, so yeah, carbs are pretty wonderful because carbs are going to be your main fuel source for things like your exercise and your performance. So obviously, if you know you're eating enough carbohydrates, you're going to perform well. If you perform well, it means you're going to get better results, uh, which is really important. Uh, and again, carbohydrate is has a slightly higher thermic effect than say fat. So again, around 10%. Um, so again, if you're eating 100 uh, calories of carbs, you would get about 90% of those calories in total. Um, but again, depending on the source, it can actually be anywhere from 5 to 15%. But let's say 10 because it's right in the middle. Um, so interestingly, the thing about carbohydrate is, again, I can't remember exactly what the study was or how it's even performed. So I apologize for that. But again, we'll link it below. But basically, they were looked at, at your actual like the fat stored on the body. And they found that only around 4% of that total body fat was contributed because from glucose, essentially. That's it, just 4%. So again, that should be a really uh, positive sign for you to take away and understand that actually, again, carbs are not your enemy. Carbs help you to fuel your performance and they're not so easily stored as body fat. In fact, they have to go through a process called de novo lipogenesis to be turned into fat in the first place to be able to be stored again that itself is an energy costing process mm -hmm. so again you know there's there isn't it's not like eat carbs or even eat sugar and it just turns to fat that's not the case at all and that's just one of the main myths we need to dispel first uh so yeah um don't have to worry about eating carbs and again on the flip side eating enough carbs is going to fuel that performance if you have performance it's going to mean um, again, better results. And again, not looking at trading from an energy expenditure point of view, because I don't like that. But just if you do, if you're, uh, you know, better performance, it means you're trading harder, which means you're expending more calories as well. So yeah, carbs are critical and you should eat your carbs. Plus, you know, they're enjoyable as well. So yes, eat yeah. your carbohydrates. Yeah, no, good, great, great starting point for that one there. Uh, quickly, quickly side note on kind of going back to the insulin thing, because you kind of quickly brought it up, but I think it's worth highlighting to people kind of how prevalent this actually is. You know, you mentioned protein being insulinogenic, but I don't think people realize that, you know, things like whey protein almost have like a, a similar, uh, uh, an insulin spike effect as things like sugar, literally like pure sugar. So, you know, if, if your argument for kind of keto or low carbs is the insulin thing, then stop having, stop eating protein at all. Cause you know, yeah. really you're not, you're not, gonna, you're not going to, and stop an insulin response so just that, that's a, just, a just, just yeah just just educate yourself again it's this fault of looking at one pathway in one moment in time that yeah, has drawn this yeah. wrong conclusion you can't the body is so complicated you can't just look at one thing and just take a conclusion from it you have to look at how everything interacts together and you know how everything works on the whole plus sometimes you just have to lot stop looking at mechanisms and just look at what what is happening in real life there is plenty of people who have lost body fat whilst eating plenty of carbohydrates. It happens all the time. So how uh, do some people still think that if you eat carbs, you'll gain fat? It's, it's not understandable to me how people could think that. And that's also why, again, as long as you're in a calorie deficit, it doesn't actually matter what you eat. You will lose body fat. Now, obviously, food quality absolutely matters. But just understanding that for fat loss, the absolute fundamental is this calorie deficit. And it doesn't matter what you eat. It doesn't matter how you structure your macros. You will lose fat. 
again, don't take that or take that with a pinch of salt because understanding, again, food quality matters, your macro distribution matters a little bit. Again, in terms of if you look at like protein, if you have a higher protein diet, then you're going to lose more fat. So again, it doesn't matter, but the fundamental is this calorie deficit means fat loss. So again, it doesn't matter if you're eating high carb because you will lose fat as long as you're in a calorie deficit. And again, that's just critical to understand because, you know, if you become afraid of carbs, then again, what could that potentially do to your relationship with food? Yeah, what yeah. could that do to your enjoyability of the diet? And then how could that therefore affect sustainability? Again, it might affect things like performance. Uh, and if performance sucks, then again, the results in the gym are going to be very poor. So again, this is almost as knock on effect from an irrational oh, fear of carbohydrate. So I wanted to come to that actually, because I think one, one thing that people don't consider is again, kind of the, the indirect impact of doing that. Cause obviously particularly, particularly, I guess, perhaps you can sort of touch on, on the idea of, you know, therefore why, why are carbs important you know, in the, in the gym? And obviously we, we kind of touch on this in, in a Fitbit that we've got coming out in a few weeks anyway, which kind of touches on the idea of matching nutrition to, to training. Yeah. But yeah. Ba- basically to, to not get too into it, I guess, especially if you're kind of training in a more kind of metabolic manner, um, obviously you just like feel, feel the burn style. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then you're going to be, you know, relying on, on glucose a, a lot more anyway. So p- particularly if you are in, in a phase of training, that is more that style, then consider your consumption of, of carbohydrates and how that will be affecting your performance and particularly how it kind of, you know, your nutrition does relate to to your training. Um, yeah, I, I think that, that in itself, you know, the idea of, you know, even, even if it, it kind of does work, just solely looking at, at weight loss is that idea of indirectly, how is it kind of affecting our results? And, you know, therefore if our ability to perform is impaired, then that's not going to have a great impact on our body composition as a whole, because, well, when we diet down, we're not just looking to, to lose weight in general. We obviously want to, you know, lose fat, preserve our muscle mass. So mm-hmm. unless, unless and particularly and insulin's you, actually really useful for that as well, by the way. Yeah. 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 That, Cause that insulin has this an, as, as an anti anti catabolic effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some circumstances, insulin can even be an- uh, anabolic as well. So, in fact, some people like to call it the most anabolic hormone. Uh, I'm not sure if I agree with that or not, but the overall point is still valid. So, actually, again, this is why eating carbohydrate can actually have some. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but I just thought. Quite, good, good. Um, so basically, carbs have what you call a protein sparing effect. Oh yes, good one, good one, good. So one. yeah, if you eat higher carbohydrates because you get this anti-catabolic, possibly even um, anabolic effect you actually need lesser protein requirements. So that is, again, really useful information to understand, especially if you're trying to keep muscle in a deficit. uh, Because again, obviously, if you want to keep muscle, then you need to stimulate this anabolic response in the first place. So yeah, the the carbohydrates are also really beneficial in that sense as well. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, Good one to to bring up. Uh, I I think it could potentially be worth going a a little anecdotal at this point, because I think we've kind of touched on some of the ideas of kind of protein intake and, and kind of car and kind of carbs and the indirect in, impacts on training and stuff. So I guess, I guess people will, will also want to kind of hear our, our say on things as well, as, as opposed to just kind of fact, 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 fact. Um, so th- this is where I'm going to throw it out there that I've, I've played around like a lot in, because I mean, I, I find it a, a bit of a nightmare to, to gain weight. You, you, you see me eat like a, a pretty, <laughs> 
hefty amount of calories you, yourself as well of course uh, you you know you, you definitely have some pretty hefty caloric demands ridiculous yeah yeah and and this is i think this is a good one especially for the people you know listening who are trying to build muscle and kind of considering well you know they heard what we said earlier about kind of fat being you know higher higher in calories per gram uh and kind of the idea of higher energy environment being ideal for for you know muscle gain um but you know consider the impacts of carbohydrates on on performance and stuff and therefore how that will sort of carry over in in terms of muscle gain because i mean i myself have definitely played around with kind of higher fat versus higher carb in terms of pushing up phases because sure is it much easier to get your calories in if you're on like 5000 calories and you're you know having a much higher fat intake to facilitate that yeah of course it's easier you know the volume of food is much much less you know it's going to be much easier to get down there um but okay. in terms of you know how how you can really you know enhance your your uptake of carbohydrates how it can impact your performance i think uh, i've certainly experienced much better results when taking kind of the, the much higher carb route and to be fair all i'll advise there is don't underestimate the power of liquid calories and don't underestimate the power of just ever so slightly increasing your portions so if you're if you're on some sort of chicken and rice meal whether that be like a curry or stir fry whatever you're you're kind of making of it just consider that you every few weeks another, another 10 grams of rice another 10 grams of rice just you know titrate it up if because again the idea of digestion and appetite comes into play you know we have to actually be able to to eat and digest and absorb what we actually want to use so i think yeah. these, these are good ideas to always kind of come back to and you know if we, if we are considering how the these macronutrients are important to us then it's also worth considering how we're actually applying this in our diet so those are just kind of my two cents on what i've found quite effective in terms of you know building and gaining phases uh, and kind of how i play about with my food to ensure that i can actually just continue getting it in yeah and that sort of that. well it that's all very nicely leads into talking about fat so in a gaining phase for example if we really get into the nuances of body composition which again this is a ratio of fat mass to um, lean body tissue, but just think of it as muscle. Um, uh, Fat is more easily stored as body fat. So if you're pushing up and go with this higher fat approach, you, even though if the calories are equated, you're probably going to have slightly worse body composition simply because the fat you eat is, uh, again, has this lower thermic effect. But it's also in terms of structure, the actual chemical structure uh, of the fat itself is very pretty much identical to that of stored body fat for the majority of fat you eat. Uh, and that's in the form of triacylglycerides. So um, don't need to go too much into that. But again, understanding if that's the case, that the chemical, stru- chemical structure is very similar and has a lower thermic effect of food, then you know it means it's not going to take many calories to digest it, but it's also pretty much very easily stored as body fat because it doesn't have to go through any sort of conversion process, which, you know, again, costs energy. So from a real nuanced standpoint, this is why going higher fat is probably not going to be beneficial for body composition in terms of in a push-up phase. Yeah. Even though the calories are easy to get in, even though it's more calorie dense and easy to get in, uh, again, from a body composition standpoint. Now, do the majority of people need to worry about that? Probably not. Probably not, but it's just good to put out there so people understand. Yeah, yeah, sure. So obviously fat is is really important um, for quite a few things. Um, again, you've probably heard, you know, 
hormones, your, your sex hormones come from cholesterol in the first place. Um, in terms of uh, um, nutrient uh, uptake, it's also, yeah, yeah, nutrient uptake. Uh, it's also, you know, for, there is certain uh, fat soluble nutrients, which means they require fat to absorb. So that's important to understand. Uh, and nutrient storage as well. So obviously, you know, things like vitamin D, you can store within your body fat. And obviously, as you lose body fat, it gets released. Um, um, it is obviously, it is still an energy source. So that's uh, definitely yeah, the case. Yeah. Um, in fact, right now, right now in this current moment, me and Kev are probably majority, well, majority of our energy is coming from fat source. Um, yeah. So at rest, it's your main energy source in any uh, aerobic pathways, your main energy source. Um, so that just means with oxygen. Um, uh, another one people don't consider is how it affects things like cell health and protects the cells essentially because you have something called the, the myelin sheath, which is essentially a fat coating around cells um, to help protect those cells. So again, that's really, really important. So fat does have quite a few important biological functions, that's for sure. But outside of them, it becomes less important for things like, again, for, you know, performance. Um, you only need so much. Again, it, it's more... Fat's one of those where it's more about um, it's just a minimum requirement so, yeah, yeah, for health. Yeah. It's like a minimum requirement for health. It's less important for these extra things to want to do, like such as build muscle, uh, perform in the gym, or even fat loss itself. Again, so if you just you hit a minimum requirement for fat per day, then you're golden. Now, again, this leads very nicely into how we can, say, structure our um macronutrients to make up our total calories so for something like fat at most um you probably only want to go as high as one gram per kilogram of body weight at, at most so if you were a 100 kilogram person that's 100 grams of fat per day don't need to go any higher than that there's literally just no need you could even go a little bit lower than that in fact the range is probably around 0.5 to one gram per um kilogram per day women um probably need a little bit higher men can probably get away with a bit lower but yeah, that's the range, okay? So then if we look at, say, protein, we've kind of touched on it before. Um, now, I don't think there's a need to go ultra high, but again, there's benefits to going high. So uh, in terms of ratios, probably about 1.8 to 2.2 um, grams per kilogram of body weight. So again, if you were this 100-kilogram uh, person, that's about 180 to 220 grams per day. And then obviously those between them have a calorie intake uh, or make up a calorie number. So obviously again, protein four grams per, for, uh, four grams per, Pound four calories per gram. Yeah, fat nine calories per gram. So then obviously, you know, those numbers make up this calorie value and the rest of your calories can just simply be filled with carbohydrates. And that's mm -hmm. simply how you need to structure your macronutrient intake. Simple as that. Um, I, I, was, now, I was thinking about pounds. I was thinking about pounds because I, I was thinking. I was still thinking. I, I, you use yeah. kilograms per. You, you, I, I you, you do kilograms. grams per kilo of body weight, and I yeah. always go grams per pound I always, of body weight. So because uh, yeah, you know metric system all, at all. I always use kilograms. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now again, understanding that the rest of your calories can be filled by carbohydrates, your protein intake and your fat intake are going to be reasonably fixed. Not completely, but they're going to be reasonably fixed. So this is where we look at, like, you know, again, if we look at to build a calorie intake, this is where, because the rest of your calories are filled by carbs, if you want to then start to build a calorie intake, this is where you can then, you know, titrate up your carbohydrate intake as well. 
again, that's going to come with a lot of benefits again in terms of like this anti-catabolic effect or possibly anabolic effect, this benefit of performance. Um, again, you get to eat more food, you have higher energy levels because you're eating uh, more of this, again, this very energy dominant um, fuel source. So again, I think that's why it's important to understand because it, get, it helps you realize if you want to build your calories, you can just build your carbs and protein and fat are going to stay relatively fixed. Now, again, as you become heavier, if, if that's your goal, then obviously, again, those values of protein and fat are going to go up a little bit, but not very much over time. So again, if you're a 100 kilogram person and you get to 105 kilograms, you probably don't even need to change your protein or fat intake because it's still going to be around that number of, again, yeah, yeah. for fat, what one gram per, uh, what, you know, one gram per kilogram body weight and for protein 1.8 to 2.2 uh, grams per kilogram, it's still going to be around that number anyway. So again, that just makes you, should help you to understand if you're going to build calories, it just means to build your carbohydrates. Um, and again, that just comes with a lot of benefits in and of itself. Again, one of them could be, you know, creating an efficient diet start point, or it could be for muscle building, uh, whilst, you know, maximize body composition or whatever reason it could be for. Um, but again, it's just useful to know. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, and I think, you know, going, going back to the ideas of, you know, how I've kind of played around with, you know, macros in the, in the past that that idea of you know really play around with with your carbohydrates and keep your protein and fat reasonably fixed is a good one not only for the reasons you mentioned but then that also if you keep you know particularly fat more kind of fixed then you can always really save that as kind of a last ditch effort if you you know if you're really kind of at the peak of a, of a gaining phase and you know digestion you know, you you maybe you maybe don't have the appetite to to eat much more in terms of volume. So maybe that's the point where you could kind of creep up your fat just to create that that kind of slightly higher calorie intake. You know, maybe maybe you're not in a in a point where you want to kind of throw in a tidy up phase just yet. You know, maybe you don't want to, to kind of decrease body weight just yet. And even though that obviously would potentially be good in terms of kind of appetite. Uh, so this is where you can kind of consider how you really you know, play your cards in, in terms of these phases. Uh, but I think that's that's probably a, a good way to kind of wrap up macronutrients and how we're kind of structuring those in, yeah. in our yeah. diet. So perhaps uh, just a yeah. quick little bit on micronutrients because we're already kind of going quite quite far yeah. in time. So this is where the argument of, you know, how much you eat versus uh, what you or, you know, food uh, quantity versus food quality comes to place. There shouldn't be an argument about that. There shouldn't be one or the other. You should have both. Mm -hmm. Both matter for health, for performance, for fat loss, both absolutely matter. So you definitely, again, you know, fortunately, the way things have worked out is, you know, for example, you know, going back to the higher protein intake, and but then again, to low risk of cancer, you want a higher veg intake. Fortunately, the way you should typically structure your diet for better health and things like that anyway, should end up meaning that the majority of your diet is quality anyway. Now, obviously, you want to get the majority of your micronutrients from your diets. Now, obviously, we could go down the supplemental route, but you do want to get the majority from your diet. Now, micronutrients are incredibly important. Um, again, don't undervalue what they can do. Again, there are so many different biochemical reactions that have in your body every single day, which rely on my, uh, micronutrients. Um, so, you know, for example something like magnesium, which is a very abundant micronutrient, but a lot of people are deficient in, is critical for things like sleep. So you have basically your energy system is comes from something called 
um, ATP or adenosine triphosphate. Now, when you get a buildup of energy over day, you get this buildup of adenosine. And this buildup of adenosine essentially helps to create this, what you would call sleep pressure, which helps you to fall asleep. Now, a really important cofactor, which essentially is something that helps your body to perform this uh, biochemical process, is magnesium because that helps with this adenosine buildup. Side note, that's how caffeine works, by the way, because caffeine stops as adenosine buildup. Um, but yeah, something like magnesium is incredibly important for something as simple as sleep. We know how important sleep is for things like body composition, performance, cravings, hunger. So again, that's just one function. That's one micronutrient and one function of that micronutrient that already should tell you how incredibly important it is. So yeah, micronutrients are very, very important. Um, again, the simple way, again, in terms of a real life practicality is eat your veg, eat your fruit and eat a wide range of colors of fruit and veg as well, mostly green, but also get that wide range of colors in as well. Yeah, no, that, that, that's great. It, you know, in, in reality, there probably isn't too much that we can, you know, touch on in terms of fundamentals of, of micronutrients because, you know, the, what, what they do is so incredibly diverse, but I guess, you know, the way to sum that up is just, you know, various bodily functions. So get them in, eat your, eat your fruit and veg, um, I think one, one point that's kind of worth highlighting, because I think we'll probably touch on micronutrients as a whole much more in kind of the advanced nutrition, because I think there's a lot yeah, of cool stuff that comes into play. You I can know, really dive into the different processes and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know, I know particularly you, you know, some like really cool things about kind of what inhibits what in the body and, and stuff like that. So that'll be some really cool stuff to dive in, in the, in the advanced section for now, in terms of fundamentals, there's not too much to dive to, but I guess one thing which could potentially be good to, to wrap up on is when it does come to, to micronutrition, I guess, particularly when it comes to supplementation, is this idea that because they're involved in so many different bodily processes and particularly kind of minerals can you know come in many different forms, you know, particularly looking at things like magnesium. And this is kind of a, a bit of a running joke that Ben and I have now. And you, for, for now, you probably won't get it. But when we release the, the Fitbits that we did on stress management, <laughs> it'll become clear why, yeah. why, we, why we talk about this. But for example, you know, th things like considering what form of magnesium you take, like whether it's magnesium oxide or ma magnesium, you know, bisglycinate, uh, they, they do contribute to two very different functions in the body. Um, if you if you know what that is, and you can kind of catch on to why this is a bit of a, a running joke now, um, feel free to leave that in the comments if you know kind of what, what these uh, different forms of magnesium are used for. It'd be cool to see if, if anyone knows that. Um, but yeah, you know, particularly when it comes to supplementation, do consider you know, micronutrients, vitamins, minerals are involved in so many kind of bodily functions that yeah. cons consider what you're taking and why. <laughs> well, th th this is why I don't actually like to talk about supplements and micronutrients um, in a generic sense, because number one, it's very individual. And again, supplements mm -hmm. like supplements are there to supplement your diet. They're helped to fill in the, the missing pieces or the missing, um, you know, to or maybe as an insurance policy. But when you start talking about supplements, that's when, again, because that's when things tend to get a bit more complicated. Whereas, you know, if you just ensure that you're eating quality sources of, um, I mean, first of all, animal products are, certain animal products are very, very nutrient dense. You know, a good piece of steak, eggs, uh, liver, or organ meat, very, very nutrient dense. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, include some of them in your diet. But then again, just looking at your know, fruits and veg, it just becomes, if you just make sure you eat mostly green, but, you know, still have that wide variety of color, you're going to cover majority of your bases right there and you, therefore you have to worry about supplements way less and therefore it's just way less complicated because again if you go high dose of one supplement 
you could, or one, uh, if you've got a high dose with one nutrient in a supplement form, you could potentially start to deplete another uh, nutrient. And again, that could cause all sorts of problems. So things become more messy, becomes more complicated and need to be done way more on an individual level when we talk about supplements. In fact, it, we, we shouldn't even really talk about micronutrients and supplements in the same sentence too much because then you just start to associate, well, that's where I got my micronutrients from. No, No, definitely quality, good quality food first to get in a range of micronutrients. Again, the reason why I say like things like animal products are useful as well, because you're going to find a lot more fat soluble vitamins um, within your animal products. You will get some in uh, in veg as well, like avocado, for example, is pretty high in fat soluble nutrients, but uh, you will find uh, again, things like B vitamins, which are quite hard to get from a diet, you'll find them also in organ meats. Yeah. So don't neglect the animal products side of things either. But, you know, if you have, again, just good quality source of animal products, which also come with better uh, quality source of protein themselves, and you have plenty of fruits and veg in, then you know you're going to be, like I say, pretty well covered. And I think for the majority of people, that's where you can stop. You don't need to go any further. Again, yeah supplements then come down to the individual level and i think that's just important to remember as well yeah yeah definitely um i think obviously it is worth noting simply that you know supplements are exactly that a supplement um but i the the only reason i kind of mention that is because a lot of people already do kind of take something like a multivitamin and stuff for for kind of more so an insurance policy and you know to, to kind of fill in potential gaps uh, but I would just like to therefore highlight and understand that, you know, various, uh, e- even when we kind of, again, we get into this on the stress oh. management videos, yeah. but the idea of, you know, just consider what you're taking and what form it's in. Cause you know, even, yeah. I, I guess this even applies to, to diet as well, but particularly when it does come to supplementation, especially, you know, to, to kind of cover gaps, you know, people, people often kind of go for like cheap multivits from, you know, uh, I won't say names of shops or brands, um, but you know they won't even like look at the, the <laughs> but they won't even like look at the form of the the vitamin in the in 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 said multivit and can you even actually really efficiently absorb absorb that that vitamin and you know again you're thinking of like different minerals like you know magnesium and the different things that that does in in your body and kind of yeah. methylated versus unmethylated, but we'll, we'll kind of get into more that within the advanced section. It's just something so, that I wanted to bring up in terms of just, you know, be, be wary of, you know, what you're consuming and why you're consuming it. So here's another major, major problem with relying on something like a multivitamin for your nutrient intake, because this is where people miss a key part of the puzzle. Yes, you're getting in some of those micronutrients with a multivitamin, but what you're not getting that you will get with food is phytonutrients, polyphenols, different types of fibers, so soluble, insoluble, prebiotic, all these different things that work synergistically and are important by themselves that come with food that you're not going to get with a multivitamin that you're going to miss out on. It's massive, so you're going to miss out on just so much of what you get from food by just taking a multivitamin. So again, but then what you think as well, I've got this as an insurance policy, I'm, I'm covered, I don't need to worry about as much about veg anymore. Again, that's problematic thinking because you're just missing out on a lot there. Um, so again, that's really, again, why it's just, it just keeps things simple to, to mainly just eat your fruit and veg. And again, go quite source of uh, animal products because it covers everything, not just your micronutrients, but like say, you know, your phytonutrients, your poly- polyphenols, 
uh, you know, different types of fiber, which again is really, really important for obviously the gut, the gut microbiome. As we talked about before, the gut can then have effects on both carries in and carries out as well. Now we're not getting to that because that's very complicated to the point where I shouldn't even be talking about it really because even the experts in the world on the gut are still not that sure of just everything it is very fascinatingly complicated. Yeah. It's, it's There's so much not known. It's incredible. So, but what we can pretty much confidently say is that, you know, certain fibers, especially prebiotic fibers, which basically fibers that feed the, the gut microbiome are, are very good for our health and have beneficial effects on our health. So you're not getting that with a multivitamin. So again, this is why it's really important to not just think micronutrients and then think multivitamin because you're missing yeah. out on so much more. And again, well, that's that, just key to understand. Yeah, well, that, that's why I kind of like to bring that up very quickly, you know, the idea of kind of supplementation for micronutrients because I think that's usually the first thing that's kind of neglected in a, in a diet. And, you know, whether, whether or not, you know, prospective clients come with, with already kind of a, a, a lower protein intake, you know, that's usually something that's, you know, very, you know, easily addressed, but usually something that people really neglect is kind of their fruit and veg intake and almost do sort of start to rely on, on supplements, which is again, why it's kind of important to consider, you know, what are you problematic? Putting, putting, yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what I was, was actually going to say now, but I think I guess most of the, the stuff out of the way for, yeah, the kind of micronutrients and stuff about going too in depth, and we've already been getting yeah. at this for a while. So I suppose this is a, is a decent place to kind of wrap up. Should we just sum up, sum up everything we've talked about? Yeah. So uh, I guess to to sum up, energy balance is is key. As don't neglect the, the kind of yeah. Don't neglect the period. don't neglect the relationship you know between calories in and calories out, and you know don't don't abuse that. Um, High protein, especially if you're, you know, wanting to optimize body composition is the way to go. Take advantage of definitely. the low hang, hanging fruit in terms of like distribution of protein and stuff like that. It is mm. a lot and easier. One, one, one thing I just want to add to why distribution of protein is also quite important that we didn't add before is that protein doesn't really have like, like carbs and fat does, doesn't really uh, have yeah, a yeah, storage, yeah. a method of storage. <laughs> now there is like a, an amino, there is an amino acid pool, but in terms of overall, there isn't really a way to store protein. So that's why also, that's why we said, you know, anywhere between three, six, three to six meals or three to six fervents of protein per day is important because again, you know, once it's sort of out your system, so to speak, that's when you need to stimulate that um, protein threshold again. But yeah, uh, carry on. Yeah. Uh, now I could really, really want to bring up actually, um, carbs are not bad for you. Carbs are probably very useful in terms of kind of body composition and performance fats. Uh, I guess this one goes a little anecdotal, but you know, although important, we personally prefer kind of keeping fats to a minimum just to kind of cover all the, you know, bodily processes. Cover the basis and that's, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, important in your diet, but, you know, consider how you can potentially yeah, play around with them, but again, don't really overdo it. And then again, one last, damn fruits one last and point. vegetables. Yeah. So again, one last point to add to the fats argument is that to be fair, again, sustainability is really important. So if you do prefer going high fat, lower carb, that's absolutely fine as well. Yeah. If you prefer going high carb, low fat, that's absolutely fine. So again, that's just important to remember because the sustainability side of things is also critical. Mm-hmm. so yeah yes and eat your eat your damn fruits and vegetables like my god yeah. you know eat your protein eat your cake but eat your damn fruit and vegetables as well okay yeah. that's so so important but yeah. uh, again quick caveat on that is if you're someone that's pretty much never eats veg if you just go from eating no veg to try and eat in like five plus things a day you will have some serious digestive issues so build that up slowly as well um but yes 
And Pretty much, actually, uh, one one last one on the on the fruit and veg smoothies, man. The amount of the amount of mm, kind of hassle that option. could be sorted by by smoothies. Easy option. I, I totally get that people, you know, again, maybe especially as kind of food intake gets high. This is just kind of a bit of a practical takeaway. As food intake gets very high and you kind of don't want to eat anymore, but uh, we're going to do a whole thing on kind of maximizing yes, food intake. Yeah. But uh, so we'll, we'll expand on that more. But just as kind of a practical takeaway from this one in terms of fruits and veg, smoothies, you can just plug a ton of micronutrients into a blender and just, ha- yeah. So, so easy. Don't, don't, don't discount something as simple as that. So. Blender, not a juicer, though. Blender, not a juicer. That's important <laughs> to remember as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, and that's pretty much, you know, they, that is the fundamentals. Fundamentals. Of yeah. So hopefully, hopefully we've yeah. kind of given you some fish and taught you how to fish as well. Um, yeah. af- after this, we'll be going on to fundamentals of lifestyle management, I guess, something that, that Ben and I uh, are probably going to have to try even harder to not <laughs> dive into. That's probably, that's probably our favorite topic to talk about, I guess. Something yeah. that's massively overlooked. Um, but yeah, so we, yeah. Hope, we, we hope you've enjoyed this one. You've been able to take away a lot from it. And uh, yeah. thank you for watching. We'll see you in the next one. Yeah, thank you for watching. See ya.